<laughs> Welcome back to But Where Are You From, a podcast by Be Seen. Today we are joined by none other than Kim Richards, aka Nano Sounds. Whoop She's whoop. our guest whoop on today's podcast. Hello, hello, hello. Hello, hello, hello. You couldn't, you couldn't keep me away. I was like, oh, what's that? You got a guest spot? Please let me back. Please, bitch. I know. <laughs> You're literally begging for it. Unsolicited. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay kim don't worry we know that you're like super you've got like not much on at the moment you're not that busy so we're just like might as well just give her a bone <laughs> what do you even what do you do i don't know i play video games and talk crap about pokemon at the moment so um that, <laughs> that's what i do <laughs> very important in the activist space obviously very important in the activist space you know um, turns out it's a really hot question when you ask people what their favorite generation of Pokemon is. <laughs> generation as in like, you've got I don't. Pikachu, the other one and the other one. Uh-huh. Yes. Oh, I don't know. Uh, Charlie should be on this and, and Carly because they know loads about Pokemon. They are. But... They are. Yeah. Charlie... Moving swiftly on. Yeah, moving swiftly on. I'm not going to say. <laughs> Can you Do I even want to ask what your favorite one is, Kim? Uh, Charizard classic gen one actually Kim we Mm. did do a BC challenge among the well the the Pokemon savvy members of BC did do Mm. a challenge wherein they tried to name as many Pokemon as possible Mm. was it a minute I think it was a minute minute. yeah Yeah. so Charlie stormed into one of my streams and was like hey Kim we've been doing this now you do it live on air and um (laughs) I embarrassed myself so um there we go just I'm not good under pressure not good I think I would have got about four so that's definitely (laughs) better than what I could do yeah Yeah, you just say Pikachu like a hundred times and you're pretty much there um and then if you say Pikachu, turn around, touch the ground, then Pikachu appears in front of you. Yep. How it works. Yep. Very, very. We say yep. it five times in the mirror. Is that not it? Isn't that Beetlejuice? <laughs> oh yeah. Beetlejuice. Pikachu. Pikachu. Pikachu, Pikachu. Same thing. Yeah. Imagine that. That's oh the God. joke I was making, guys. <laughs> oh. <laughs> but imagine if this could be the new urban legend that we spread amongst the youth of today. That it's not beetlejuice that turns up it's not what is it queen Anne or whatever that turns up and murders you it's pikachu you say <laughs> pikachu in the mirror on a dark night and there, there they are pikachu um <laughs> a good impression <laughs> pikachu! That good. Pikachu! <laughs> before we get started i just wanted to alert our listeners to donate to our coffee.com link it's a k dash fi.com forward slash be seen where all the donations go back to funding our advocacy work we're working with the government we're creating workshops we're putting out new content on our website and podcast every single week and we're launching ec heritage month in september so there's lots of exciting opportunities uh, to all help with east and southeast asian representation within the uk and beyond let's introduce the other people who are also on the podcast Hello, I'm Mayanne. I am one sixth of Be Seen. Hello, I am Amy. I am Be Seen mascot. I'm just joking. No, I'm also <laughs> a co founder of Be Seen. The Be Seen mascot, what would that look like? Um, I don't know. It has to be an EC mythical creature, surely. Oh, what was that creature that you drew, Amy? The dragon. Oh, the Queen. I'm not sure how to pronounce it, but it's part it's called horse. something else in Vietnamese. I can't yeah. remember what it is, but it's very fucking cool. Part horse, See, part giraffe, part lion, part fish. Whoa. I don't know what it says to me, but you said mascot, and the first thing I thought of was either a bowl of rice or a bowl of noodles. <laughs> um, With, With eyes a face on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I feel like if it's a mascot, it has to morph- be sentient. Morphid size. It. Yeah. So that's my contribution, guys. <laughs> You can design it, Kim, if you'd like. I like the vision. But it has to be either rice or noodles, though. Which one would you go with? No, because you guys are split 50-50 on this debate. So I think it has to be like... Not in this room. Like a Well, not in this room. This is, uh, what is it? Noodle supremacy in here. So let's make a pot noodle. There you go. Be seen pot noodle. We've decided. I, I was going to say it could be like one of those dipper snack pots where like it's split in half. So it's half rice, half noodles. But, you know, if you don't turn mm. up to the podcast, then you don't get to decide, really. No. Good point. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> let, that, let that be known, Charlie, Izzy and Carly. 
So today we're going to talk about something that we've been speaking about privately and that is like imposter syndrome and mental health and how we feel being I guess activists or whatever you want to call us within this space and how this journey in the past year or so has affected our lives has anyone experienced imposter syndrome throughout this journey so far like do we want to define what that is first what is imposter syndrome wait before we do that Viv should you be here if we're talking about you know should you be here really are you my conscience (laughs) (laughs) you're my conscience my inner voice has come out I'm just joking yes that that was your opportunity to say yes damn it I should be here fuck you in a voice I belong here just as much as anyone else I have a say I didn't get Ah. that first I was like wait a second is my (laughs) (laughs) why are you so mean mean. but that is the voice inside our heads all the time I feel like it's all the time anyway pretty much every day all day especially at four in the morning yeah. And you're thinking oh, no. about things and it's all quiet and you're like hmm am I really valid did what I say w- w- what I said today was that a good thing that I said are people looking at me and thinking wow she said a really stupid thing um yeah mm. very strong very strongly identified yeah. with imposter syndrome I haven't met a single person in the EC activist community if the wet's what we're going to call it who doesn't mm. feel that way it's mm. this really insidious thing that manifests itself absolutely everywhere whether that's in regards to your activism work or your identity or you know your language abilities or your cooking abilities just absolutely everything there's imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. everywhere Mm -hmm. and um yeah it's 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 a really difficult one to battle because there's only so many times that other people can say yes you are valid yes you do belong here at the end of the day like kim said those people aren't with you mostly at four o'clock in the morning when you're agonizing over the fact that you said race instead of ethnicity and that people are going to pick up on it and they're going to realize that you're an absolute fraud and you know fuck all about race relations <laughs> pretty much yeah yeah um, i always felt scared that i haven't said enough as well there's so many causes that i want to shout about and talk about and learn about mm-hmm. and i feel like i can't do it enough or I don't have quite the headspace there and then, and I feel really guilty. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I do feel in the sense that there are times where I've seen people go, oh, if you're an activist, you should be doing this. And that really puts doubt in my mind as well. And I can't even say it. I've not, I've not publicly said I'm an activist yet, because I still yeah. bizarre with that phrase. I just can't quite say it. I don't know about any of you. I, I don't I don't see myself as an activist. Um, mm. So I guess kind of me in a nutshell coming to this scene was um, picking up on End the Virus of Racism's fundraising last year. And because fundraising is what I do, like in my life as a Twitch streamer, like one of my favorite things to do, one of the things I want, the work that I love to do is fundraising. Um, so immediately, as soon as I saw like, you know, um, EBR sort of gaining ground, I was like, I have to do fundraising for this. Um, and and like yeah and, and then since then I've I've joined EVR I'm actually interim secretary for EVR and have been since I think February and I still I still find it really strange to say one I'm interim secretary and two I'm a part of EVR and three mm. yeah I'm an activist I don't feel like an activist I feel mm. I feel like a gobshite I feel like a fraud you know <laughs> um what even is an activist though yeah like that's really yeah that's really interesting I think that's an interesting question is like I guess it's someone who speaks up about social issues social justice issues um you notice I'm hesitant saying social justice there because I'm still learning these terms myself and there's been so many conversations where I've been speaking to people within the activism sphere in the last few months where they've had to teach me like what these things mean like what is equality compared to equity you know what is social justice what is you know you know how do we use these words whereas I was like I thought I was pretty not educated but kind of in the know beforehand but Mm. turns out there's a whole language to learn there's a whole etymology to learn there's so much history to learn um Mm. and yeah and even though I'm working in this space and doing a lot of work you know as the interim secretary I'm just 
I find myself sometimes thinking, my God, I'm such a noob. I'm such an idiot just in here kind of going, racism's bad. <laughs> I think, Stop uh, it. I think that the word activism, though, and the word activist and who gets to define it and who gets to say who gets to be an activist is a really interesting one in itself and probably speaks quite a lot to internalized systems of injustice within our movements because much as we're discovering all of us with identity I think activism is something that you really unpack and define and discover for yourself because it's a really fluid thing um, supporting a movement is not just a static thing that you do one time like you said Kim you have to learn so much stuff you've really got to educate yourself on different history of different prejudices and discrimination and acts against certain groups and the language that comes along with it and all this stuff and we're all bound to fuck up so much that I don't see how it can possibly be this static thing so it's a constant it's in a constant state of flux and I think that defining what an activist is and whether or not you are one and who gets to be one I don't know it kind of verges into the realms of the very gatekeepy and mm. I think that that's what puts people off I'm quoting air quotes here becoming activists because yeah like if you look at how be seen was founded it just happened right it was mm. a bunch of individuals going through something individually quite traumatic connecting mm. with others online who had similar experiences and then just being thrown together to unpack this trauma this problem and then finally once we'd had the space to do that sort of healing and sharing I guess being like oh maybe we can do something about this and mm. that's you know it's just we're just normal people we don't have yeah. backgrounds mm. in activism it just all just happened and we're still in that evolving journey we're not mm. the authority on anything to do with anti-racist activism we're just yeah. six people who were going through a thing individually and decided to channel that into a collective voice and yeah. we don't get to say who's an activist we don't get to say you know, we, we don't get to define these things except for ourselves. And I think that, yeah, I think that the categorizing and the labeling around activism probably mm. puts people off speaking Absolutely. out. They, they see lots so of people true. sharing things. They see people backing social movements. Um, you know, maybe they see people who have a really eloquent turn of phrase or they're really good at public speaking or they've got really big platforms and they think, oh, well, I can't be an activist because I don't have any of those things. And so I can't speak up about this thing. And so mm. while I think that what we all do is activism, I do think that we need to be cautious about, you know, who gets to say what's activism. As part of that, like when I kind of, you know, started approaching EVR and stuff like that I didn't do it because like I was like I want to be an activist I want to get into the activism space I just went I just want to help out um you know I, I, I identify with this cause and I just want to help out and I, I do wonder if there is you know a great subset of people who are similar in that they don't even think that thought of like I want to be an activist or speaking up is activism um or volunteering or helping out is activism it's just I want to help and oh mm. this is a way I can help um so I wonder if like the term activism to me is more of the sort of I don't know like the hardcore um, very extreme kind of, isn't it yeah the subset that, of people at the heart of it yeah when I think of the an activist I think of someone on the streets protesting like speaking up at marches and like have been doing it for years and years and years and then like when I guess I, when the petition started last year, when I when I created that petition, then all of a sudden people were like Viv Yao, an activist. I was like, "Fuck me! What the fuck? <laughs> like, I literally haven't done anything to do with activism before in this space. I've, I've never really talked openly about politics, racism, anything like that. And all of a sudden, you're thrusted into this like you know you labeled as something. And you're like, "Fuck no! Like uh, no!" But then it it shouldn't have been me. It should have been someone else that started this petition. But all like you said, Kim, I just wanted change like I was fucking so enraged by what I saw I just wanted to do something about it and it was the only way that I knew possibly how to like even channel my outrage into something productive at all um but then yeah it's still a weird feeling to be like oh yeah I'm an activist I don't know whether we can think of a new word that sums up what we do more do we need a new word yeah I think about the fact that 
especially growing up, I felt very much like a sidekick a lot of the time because that's what I saw on telly and the media were, you know, EC people weren't the main character a lot of the time. And that's how I felt like I was growing up and that I very much accepted being, you know, the not most important person, the person who wouldn't get picked. And I think that the idea of imposter syndrome can affect you differently as a person of color and as an EC woman specifically in that I think we face more often than not the idea of being sidelined um, compared to say maybe white people in your school who more often pick for different things and get paid more attention. And I think that that has affected me a lot and feeling like I am actively minimizing myself and not allowing myself to be heard because that's just what I'm used to and what I've always seen. And so I think that can affect as well um, how we perceive ourselves and how confident we are in being able to say I'm an activist and that still affects me to this day. I think every journey starts with that kind of individual unpacking of identity and realizing your place and everything. And it's that's how you become part of a collective movement. And we're actually going to deliver a workshop to Chinatown business owners on that exact thing, on individual experience and individual um, sort of acts and changes and how to channel that into a collective voice. Because I do really believe that activism with the capital A is not something that happens exclusively at macro level it's something that you introduce into your everyday you know people can practice activism by just you know broadening their horizons by being mindful of the language that they use by calling out inequality when they see it in everyday conversations in the workplace or around the dinner table and things like that that is activism and I think that we just need to maybe we don't need a new word for it necessarily we just need to reframe what our understanding of social activism is Mm. Well, what about when it comes to social media? How has um, you talking about things on social media, Kim, especially you being a <laughs> an influencer, content creator? Um, hashtag influenced. I'm, I'm laughing because you're asking this at a very strange day where... Um, you know, my audience, my audience specifically have been incredibly supportive. And I remember last year when I first did my first fundraiser for EBR and I was speaking up about East Southeast Asian issues. And I myself was feeling very insecure and very scared to be speaking up about it, to be talking about it. And I'll come back to why about that later, because that that initial feeling very much feeds into imposter syndrome and revolved around my exploration of my identity as being mixed race. But so my audience have always been very um, supportive, but I have noticed that in the last year, there has been a whole load of YouTube comments appear on one of the side streams I do, High Rollers D&D, um, that just shit on me from a great height. And it's always me. When I, when I go through the YouTube comments, and I see the, the comments that have been caught in the spam filter and all that. It's always me um, mm -hmm. on a team of three white men and three women I'm uh, the only mixed race person on there yeah. and um there was a lot of things about me being um it was a lot of terminology that came out of Brexit about being an, a, a migrant an immigrant and then recently I deleted a comment that called me a dumb feminist Karen uh, and then a lot of terms like fake woke SJW justice warrior, social justice warrior, blah, 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 all of that kind of terminology. And I was kind of mm. looking at it and I was like, why is it me that always gets mm. targeted for this? And then I kind of thought, is it because I am speaking up about these issues? Is it because I am trying to represent East Southeast Asian uh, anti-racism and, and anti-hate crime issues, you know, and and that is making some people angry that this woman, this young mixed race woman is speaking up and claiming her space. Is it because of that? Because it's always now, I'm, I'm probably gonna get hate for this because the commenters are always white men. They're mm. always white men making these comments. I've been you know, pretty much accepted and, and encouraged and supported by everyone else. 
but I notice it's always white men who attack me and have attacked me in the last year, but not attack me directly head on by coming at me in Twitter or coming at me in my streams and being like, hey, Kim, you're a dumb bitch, shut the fuck up. It's always on this other project that I'm a part of, a group project, and it's always there. So it's mm. like they can't even bring it to me. They bring it to the team thing, mm. thinking they can slide it in there. And yeah, it just, it sits with me a lot. It sits with me as to why is it me who always gets um, targeted for this? Mm. Um, yeah, and, and I, I think that's, that's, that's the thing. It's like, I, I do wonder, and I do think that that is definitely something that I think turns a lot of people away is they don't want to pay a target on themselves. They don't, and, and very, you know, very validly, you know, it's a very valid thing. You don't want to be a target to this. Mm. But unfortunately it, <laughs> it just comes with it and it's just I think it's almost laughable because you always see it's the same kind of person they always think they're so unique in complaining about it or talking about it but you're like mate as someone who's on the receiving end of it let me tell you the, the experiments that this, the, the results are in from the experiment it's all the same sort of person who mm -hmm. always says and always uses this kind of specific kind of language very specific words very specific phrases um mm. you know that have definitely come about in the kind of the brexit age the trump age the gamergate age you know i can see where this language comes from i mean um, that is gender-based violence isn't it what that's what you're facing uh we have to call it what it is because it's clearly that i that fragility you know the fact that you're taking up space and your identity mm. is being weaponized against you and I really, it's just so sad. I'm so sorry you went through that because it's just being used against you. And it puzzles me how people say stuff like you're a keyboard warrior or you're a snowflake and woke as if these are bad things. And I'm like, I care about other people. Is that rubbish? Is that awful? Why are you saying that's a bad mm. thing? So yeah, I'm so sorry you went through that. It's terrible. Yeah. And if we're talking about who gets to define <laughs> if we're talking about who gets to define activism then I tell you it's definitely not the least marginalized people in our society who get to define it aka straight cis het white men um so yeah fuck them fuck all of them I'm fuck sorry them. Kim fuck them but you see, the thing is that you see this thank you see this every time though every time that a woman let alone a woman of color dares to have an opinion about something passionately in an online space. I mean, you only have to look at the way that our female politicians of color get absolutely mm. destroyed. I mean, male politicians of color also get the same thing, but there's an added level of gender-based violence that, that, that gets layered in on top of it. And it actually makes putting your opinions and your, you know, the fact that you're fighting for stuff out out there into cyberspace it makes it quite a stressful experience I don't know about the rest of you but I often I've got a really big gob as we all know um so I loudly have opinions about things in quite a lot of spaces but it doesn't mean that just because I have the confidence to do that and I feel like I need to use my agency and the platform to put my opinions out there or to raise awareness of certain issues it doesn't mean that I don't also have this fear of the backlash you know, you see comments. I mean, I have comments turned off, uh, not comments turned off. I have notifications turned off, but when I do look at them, you see a comment so-and-so and you don't recognize the username. The immediate thought is, oh God, mm. you know, immediate thought is that someone is going to trash you or mm. um, say something racist or sexist or both, or, or just, you know, challenge your right to be there or challenge your right to be talking about this thing. And that's, I'm sure it's something that gets easier as you go along, but there is just this kind of expectation that if you are a woman and particularly a marginalized woman, like a woman of color or an LGBTQ woman, putting an opinion out there, it's almost like you expect to receive trash in return. Oh, yeah. And that's really, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it says so much yeah. about the society we live in that we kind mm -hmm. of expect yeah. that it's gonna happen. It doesn't make it mm -hmm. any less anxiety inducing or stressful though. I think no. Viv, I've mentioned this, we've had this conversation before where we've said that like, has anyone ever felt like whenever they're about to do a tweet or an Instagram post about an issue, about something that's been going around their head, while you're writing the post, you're looking at it and you're thinking about the shitty replies you're going to yeah. get. Yeah. And you're, you're already right having that people. fight. You're yeah. already thinking of the replies and the way you can defend it and fight, mm. you know, your corner. 
and it's well you just did that Kim I don't know if you noticed but you just did that you said you said something and then you were like oh no I'm gonna get loads of shit for this yeah it's just like a trigger reaction we all have it I mean I don't hopefully you won't get it because I think that the the lovely listenership of this podcast are um very very amazing they're all yeah. woke snowflakes. I'm just joking. <laughs> woke snowflakes. I'm a proud so. woke snowflake. I'm going to wear that woke like flake. a badge. Yeah, I'm woke a woke snowflake. <laughs> I knew you were trying to think of a way to make that. <laughs> how, how does this then affect our mental health, our, our noggin? How, how does this activism work affect how you are as people, as humans? I have anxiety attacks on a daily basis. Oh, um, Kim. So and it's just a fact of mm. life now i i've mm. deleted twitter and um instagram off my phone and mm. when i go to look at them i genuinely i get a little heart flip i get a little mm. like oh god oh god and like um Marianne was saying like when you see a notification and you're just like oh please don't be please don't be awful please just be saying something nice and like yeah whenever i've tweeted something you know um twitter is main, mainly my platform i don't really use instagram mm. for um activism stuff as much but yeah i i just i look at it and i i get a little flip and i'm like oh please don't fight me please please don't please just and and it's it's mostly nice comments or comments that are like oh my gosh i can't believe this or oh what mm. can i do you know and 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 or sh- people sharing their stories which is great that's the conversation i want to have but every single time i still get that little like <sighs> what are we going to get today? You know? Um, And that's really shit as well, because not only does it impact your mental health, but it also kind of, it glosses over those positive comments. Like we want to be there for the positive ones and we don't want their positiveness to be diminished by, by the nasty ones. Um, But for me, it actually hurts most when you feel like the challenges are whether intentionally or not coming from within the EC community itself. I think I have familiarized myself so much with kind of systems of white superiority complex that I don't know it's almost easier to deal with like the idea that an unknown you know white guy is going to trash you than if somebody else within the community makes you feel like you're right to be there or your right to be speaking about something isn't valid and I don't think that I don't really honestly don't think that people in the EC community set out to do this intentionally but you know we all say things we all drop comments and it makes Mm. it can you know people have a variety of different complexes around their identity and around their position in the world anyway then add it into this kind of melting pot where we're all trying to speak up about our causes collectively but we are all really, really different. So sometimes comments can just make you feel like, oh, I don't belong here because I didn't eat this mm. thing when I was growing up or because I didn't have this yeah. kind of, um, you know, I, I don't get this cultural reference that everyone else is making or I don't speak this language or or whatever it is. Um, or even, you know, oh, I haven't posted about this thing or we haven't addressed this as a group or we haven't done this and that's bad because yada, yada, yada. Um, mm. And I think that sometimes we can be our own worst enemies, really, because like I said, it's sometimes at the end of the day, it's just you alone and finding the strength to tell yourself, no, you do deserve to be here. You are doing everything in your own time. You're doing the best that you can is really, really difficult when it's just you. But we are all just doing the best Mm -hmm. that we can. How does that affect you mental health wise, Mayan? It's a very therapizing question. Yeah, I do sound like a therapist, how does, don't I? How does that make you feel? How does that make you feel? Honestly, at the worst of times, it, I mean, for lack of a more eloquent word, it makes me feel quite shit, <laughs> frankly. Um, and it, it does make me question who I am and who the fuck do I think I am to have these opinions. Um, I think that I'm so... I am really painfully aware of my privilege as a mixed ethnicity person. And also as a person, you know, I've got a lot of privilege in terms of my education, for example, and, you know, my passport and all these kinds of things. And I feel like I'm so hyper aware of these things. That's not to say that I won't ever temporarily forget or fuck up or do something that contributes to erasure of someone else's position but I'm so kind of hyper paranoid about them that I think that that often makes me 
that contributes to the imposter syndrome. And I, I, I'm sure, I mean, Kim, you and I have spoken about this before, but being mixed ethnicity has a huge role to play because we know that there are many, many, many issues that impact people from EC backgrounds that are caused by colorism, for example. Mm. Um, we look at Hollywood and the media and there is overall um, a preference for people of mixed heritage. Um, but, but the flip side of that is that people of mixed heritage are often sidelined or forgotten about in stories or kind of discussions around heritage and belonging because you kind of feel like you're constantly caught between the two camps but never fully accepted by either one and I mean no one is going to look at me and see a white person so that's why we really need to make sure that we have space for mixed heritage people in in EC activist spaces although we can do that and still be mindful of the ways in which um, you know different levels of privilege impact different people but yeah for sure mixed heritage plays a huge role in it and also the fact that I've only recently been unpacking how I feel about my identity in the last like two or three years or something like that so again there's this voice in my head that's like oh well you know you haven't been doing this for the vast majority of your life so shut the fuck up and let other people who are more in touch with their culture and their heritage and their roots roots <laughs> uh, and their roots speak up you know I think yeah being mixed race and especially being very vocal about it in the last year it fucks with my head and you know to relate back to imposter syndrome I feel like an imposter when I talk about you know East Southeast Asian you know racism and all these issues I feel like an imposter I feel like people are looking at me going but she's white you know and I, I and then but then also like I do feel like sometimes people look at me and go yeah but she's not Malaysian enough she's not Asian mm -hmm. enough what does she understand and I'm like but I was brought up by a Malaysian mother and I was very much brought up by my mother and I was very much brought up in a Malaysian way I guess I know more about my Malaysian family and my Malaysian culture than I do about my my English heritage and my English culture um and and I I don't know who I am I don't know who I am and for the longest mm. time I did not speak about my Malaysian side because when I have spoken about my Malaysian side in the past people have minimized it I had a an ex-boyfriend who we famously had a massive argument where he ended up like shouting at me but you've got a British passport you're white shut the fuck up about Malaysia I don't want to go back to Malaysia and meet your fucking family you oh know? wow and, and that fucked with my head for the nice, longest time the longest time you know mm. I had a friend who would you know recent recently actually in the last year would make jokes about like oh you're Asian are you I totally didn't get that because I was talking about like my favorite dish or celebrating Madeka day or you know something like my favorite <laughs> you know um piece of mythology or something like that and I know that they were joking but it fucked with my head because I was yeah, like okay and so for the longest time I shut up I just shut up about it yeah. because I don't feel Malaysian enough I don't feel white enough I'm not accepted by white people I'm not accepted by Malaysian people or the East Southeast Asian space and I'm like I don't know who the fuck I am where am mm. I am I allowed to be interim secretary of an East Southeast yes. Asian you know um, mm. anti-racism mm. um, uh, organization like am I allowed to speak up about this like I don't I don't even know like I look at myself in the mirror I'm looking at myself right now on this zoom call and I go I don't even know how I look. Do I pass? Do I pass one way or the other? Do I look mixed? Do I look, what do I look like? And I don't know. I genuinely don't know. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's, it's massive imposter syndrome. It's so interesting that you say that because I feel like for me, almost the opposite has been true because I had a really, really British upbringing and I, my Vietnamese upbringing was really non-traditional. So I've been way more in touch with my British side, my English Scottish side than I have been with anything else. I also lived in Scotland for a long time um, and really feel quite impostery in EC spaces because I know much less about Vietnamese culture and, and um, my heritage than other British Vietnamese people, which makes me feel like, whoa, um, you know, just in terms of thing, everything from, you know, cooking to language to cultural practices and, and stuff like that. But one thing that I do really want to talk about is this idea of white passing 
Um, we've talked about this at BCN before, but I really, yeah, I really hate the phrase white passing because doesn't it kind of suggest that we're all like, you know, that mixed ethnicity people are kind of trying to move undetected, undetected among us, you know, we're just trying to like be accepted as white because I don't know, for, for me, white passing this phrase, it really puts the emphasis on the beholder and on the eye of the beholder and so it's all through a lens of whiteness as mm. if we're just waiting for our membership cards to be handed to us like yes you passed come on yeah. in you know um when really it's like i we, we should feel deeply uncomfortable about judging people's validity and uh, you know their reason of being somewhere or belonging in a certain space because of how much they look a certain way um it, it just makes me distinctly uncomfortable and i think that we need to find better ways of talking about it and i, I i'm kind of at a loss of what that way should be but i've been uncomfortable with this phrase white passing yeah. for quite a long time and I, I do quite i feel like the word racialized is a good one because it race is a construct that was sort of developed by white people to categorize different groups and pit them against each other so if we say you're racialized by other people as white then it does give them that kind of colonizer lens which i think is important to mention but i don't know i i just there's so many layers to identity other than the way that you look there's your know, names come into it, names come into it a lot. That plays a lot into imposter syndrome. Um, names, yeah, your upbringing, your ability to speak a language, where you live, what like you know, what other kinds of people live in the area that you live, um, as all as well as your, uh, you know, as well as your appearance. Um, there's just so many, so many layers. I don't know, Amy, do you? because you you have a daughter who's also mixed heritage and is this the kind of thing that you think about when when raising her because she's still quite young isn't she yeah all the time I'm now very conscious and grateful for being able to learn about how I should be approaching these conversations with her thankful to be seen thankful for a lot of educators um I mean she definitely notices race and she talks about it and identifies with different uh, skin colors so one instant that we had recently was um <laughs> She is exposed to Disney films. <laughs> um, so at nursery, I noticed that they've been playing um, songs from Frozen to them. So she sings Let It Go quite a lot. And she's like, mommy, I'm Elsa. And I was like, oh, okay then. Why do you think you're Elsa? She's like, I love Elsa. And I was like, how about Mulan? Do you like Mulan? And I started showing her Mulan as well so the way she talks about her identity is she says mommy I'm Elsa and Mulan <laughs> she talks about it but she is already awesome. trying to categorize herself within this world and mm. I feel very helpless because if I were able to keep her in my little world um, I could protect her from all that and so you don't need to be in a box I, you know I understand that it's um, part of this system to want to box you in and label you which is so extremely oppressive because those labels are not sufficient yet she already feels like she has to place herself within those categorizations and it really breaks my heart because I'm like Elsa and Mulan is not sufficient it's not in any way correct but mm -hmm. I still want her to acknowledge her Chinese side which is why I wanted to introduce you know more Chinese representation, um, EC representation to her, uh, because already going to nursery, going out into the world, she's associating more with whiteness. And I want her to acknowledge many, many sides of her. Uh, so mm. it's really hard, but it's, it's just difficult to navigate because I'm not the only one who's got influence on her. Yeah, of course. And how do you cope with that then in terms of your own mental health? How do you ensure that you're looking after yourself in order to look after your daughter and your family? God, I stress so much. I honestly stress about this so much, but I think I want to be able to be the one to give her those foundations. I think I just want her to enjoy being a kid for as long as possible. And I've said this on the podcast before, but my happiness is tied to her happiness. So I can't think about my happiness alone without thinking about where she is right now so I guess I just want her to grow up and have a very 
whole view of the world that isn't just predicated on things she learns at school and is influenced by and I understand one day she's gonna go out I understand one day people are gonna come at her with really ignorant things and I want to be able to give her that foundation of remember to always be curious remember to not always take things at face value because that's what mm -hmm. I did so yeah my happiness is hinged on her happiness <laughs> is my oh. answer to that and currently you know she's happy because um, yeah. she's still so young she's not exposed to that yet but I am stressing constantly about the day she comes back and says this person said this to me or said I'm not Asian enough or not white enough you know so hearing this I'm like yeah. you know I'm grateful that you guys are able to give me that so that I can prepare her because um, I, I think I'm coming to accept that this really oppressive capitalist colonial system that we're still living in is going to try and box her in and I want to give her the keys to hopefully mental freedom, I think, from that. How about you, Viv? How does your imposter syndrome impact on your mental health? Oh, I think it, I think I feel, I feel like I feel the imposter syndrome when I see my peers, so everyone here and beyond, hearing you all speak on TV, on radio, on in different panels, and I'm like, I can never speak in that way. I don't have the language, I don't have the knowledge that the people that I see next to me working with me do. And that really plays on me because I'm like, I'm not good enough for this. I need to tap out because I don't have a degree in history. I don't have an English literature degree. I don't have, whatever it might be, I don't have any of those things. I have a degree in marketing. Um, and like that really, really affects me. And I think something that I've been trying to think about is just like, no, my experience is valid. I can talk about racism or being someone who is marginalized because I am someone who is marginalized. So I can bring in my own experience and that resonates with people um, as much as any, any other story does, as much as someone talking about the history and the stats. It's all stuff that I can learn, but I think like being able to share relatable experiences is very, very powerful because it's emotive. You feel it like you, I'm speaking from my heart. I'm speaking from me. That's all I know how to do really. And that's probably I've figured out being my strength, but for the longest time I've been like, I'm not good enough for this. I started a petition and now I don't know what to do. And, that, and now the government wants to work though. with us. That's mm. bonkers that you think that because like, you know, you host a podcast and when you've been on stream with me, which is twice now, <laughs> it's been very natural. It's been very like you have the hosting, like, you know, the conversation, the gift of the gab, you're very charismatic. And I would say the times that I have spe seen you speak publicly, you are very eloquent. You speak from the heart, you communicate effectively. And I get what you're trying to say. So it's, it's bonkers to me that you feel inadequate compared to like, I don't know, myself who's been on Sky News and um, almost burst out into tears in the two minutes that I had. <laughs> but I think um, this is the thing. This is, this is, this is imposter this is syndrome yeah. everywhere because, you know, people look at you, Kim, and they think, oh my God, mm. how can she stream like that in front of so many people and just <laughs> yeah. keep her cool and know Hundreds that she's getting people. trolls attacking her on Twitter, left, right and center and on YouTube, yada, yada, yada. I mean, uh -huh. we're not going to go into this, but I think all of us, for every yeah. single one of us here, we could all just list a, a you know a list of their positive qualities and strengths a mile long um and it's just it's one of those things it's so hard to see that about yourself yeah. but you can foster attitude changing behavior by kind of constantly repeating these mantras to yourself that you mm. you are worthy and your experience is valid and you mm. are here because you've had an experience mm. that it, it's not always going to work but um I think that Viv, what you said about just trying to tell yourself that is really, really important. Yeah. But it's it's just interesting that you think that, yeah, because you don't have a degree in this or because you don't have a background in this, that doesn't mean mm. that you can't speak about something. But I think that we should really normalize just accepting our strengths and our weaknesses, you know, and I think that that's really important yeah. for any movement or organization or coalition of organizations to move forward is that we you kind of sometimes while individual experience and individual voicing of experience and unpacking of experience and identity is really important in spaces in order to be able to move forward together. We also need to be able to let go of the, 
I don't want to say I, I, when I say ego I mean in the sort of philosophical sense not in the kind of mm. arrogant sense but we need to be able to kind of let go of that sometimes and I think that what we we do do that when we say things like do you know what this isn't really my strength you take it or you go for it or I'm a step back on this one you know maybe you should ask this person they're much stronger than I am in this area and, mm. and just just normalizing accepting that we have strengths and weaknesses and some of us are yeah. better at doing certain things and others are better in other areas and just kind of pushing forward and raising people up in different sectors just to kind yeah. of achieve the the common goal we do sometimes I'm just talking specifically about activism we do need to be able to kind of put those things aside and move forward obviously there's so much to unpack on an individual level and that doesn't mean that we're not all going to suffer from like imposter syndrome and you know you hear your peers like you said Viv speaking in various ways or achieving certain things or maybe even it's something as simple as they've posted something on Instagram and you've read their caption and you're like fuck I can't write like that you know (laughs) we've probably all had these things yeah and and it's a it's a comparison culture isn't it we always compare ourselves to Mm. other people no matter how confident we are in ourselves or how we seem to be I think that I come across as a really confident person overall I am a pretty confident person but it doesn't mean that there isn't always this constant like oh fuck kind of feeling behind everything that I do and it just comes back to knowing again that what you see online on and on social media isn't everything it's not the full story oh yeah that that confidence definitely fluctuates with me I think like I would never label myself really as a confident person because it goes up and down so often like Mm. sometimes I feel on top of the world like I could achieve anything and then I feel really brazen and be like come on guys look at what we've done we can fucking do this and other times I'm like I just want to sit on my sofa and switch off from the world and watch Netflix and white people things sometimes people use confidence as a facade to mask anxiety it's like a you know a compensation Mm. thing like you say they don't exist in a Mm. binary no one is just 100% confident all the time it's usually the tip of the iceberg 100% hundred percent yeah um Mm. do you guys ever do you ever do that full body cringe when you either like read back something that you've written or an interview you've been in a part of or like something that you're watching like you know like tiktok where you're like yeah yeah Like when I watch one of my, str- I can't watch my streams back. I can't watch, watch any video. I, I yeah. don't watch any of it. That Sky News thing, you know, yeah. I had so many people being like, oh my God, Kim, that's so amazing. Haven't watched it back because for me, I was just like full body cringe mode the whole time. Like I was there <laughs> and I cannot so look at it. Like, yeah, people you- clip your Twitch stuff though. So how do you yeah. like, cope with that? <laughs> <laughs> Have you seen the physical and mental wreck that I am? <laughs> Blinkers on. <laughs> Oh gosh, I could not cope with that of having people send clips back to you no. of yourself. Having said that, I, oh. I listen to the podcast every week, even when I'm on mm. it. Um, <laughs> and so actually, this is a really great example of me being outwardly confident, but then internally agonizing. Um, I One thing that I know that, or I tell myself that I need to work on is my active listening. And the fact that I'm quite dominant in conversations where I can risk overshadowing people and I have to work quite hard to make sure that I try to let people the space to talk and not just fill silences or fill gaps and you know try and make other people feel comfortable enough to bring something to the table if they're not naturally the kind of person who's going to fight for the chance to speak and sometimes just listening back on the podcast I'm like oh my god I'm so loud or I interrupted that person or I didn't let that person speak or oh my god this podcast is like 50% me then like 5% everyone else <laughs> and, and, natural streamer. Yeah. that's a natural streamer there like <laughs> Yeah, you need to go to Twitch stream. I absolutely do not want to be giving me a platform to just talk ceaselessly on my own. Yeah, I'd love that. (laughs) Do it. Do it. Do it. It'll be like it'll be like like the last chapter of Ulysses for anyone any English literature geeks out there. I don't know what the fuck you're talking about. (laughs) Ulysses is a book by James Joyce that's written in a really experimental style, and there's one chapter of it that's a stream of consciousness, and it's only got like eight full sentences in it or something it's like yeah I don't know several pages wow. long and it's got eight full stops in it it's just like a stream of consciousness yeah. that would be maybe you should stream. recite that I'll call it the Ulysses stream. twitch stream there's a niche <laughs> for everything I feel like yeah 
<laughs> Maybe so, I'll try to read it out on my next stream. Do See it, how Kim. far do I do get it. before my brain explodes. <laughs> do we think that even existing in this space where we are continually facing different intersecting forms of oppression is a form of activism because I remember once listening in on the clubhouse chat and someone was really ranting and raving about certain EC actors and actresses not speaking up enough about anti-EC racism and I was just like but they've succeeded in an industry that is pitted against them and that to me is really inspiring that to me is like wow you did incredibly well and I just saw it in a really different way and so for me I don't necessarily think activism is all about you have to shout or talk about anything or eulogize or be able to speak eloquently to me it's even just existing and being happy and joyful in this world I'm like good on you that's awesome mm. that to me is brilliant activism so I don't know how you guys see that I think there's a really fine balance there because on the one hand if you're a public figure or you've got a massive platform and you've got lots of connections do you think okay do you have a certain responsibility to post stuff or to raise awareness of stuff given how many people you could reach and on the other hand none of your fucking business because we don't you you don't you don't know the things that people are doing and battling and yeah exactly we do have this I think collectively on a societal level, yes, we all have a responsibility to be engaging more. And it starts with learning. It starts with that quietly educating yourself. But at some point you've got to break out of the quietly educating yourself, you know, pod. And I noticed that overwhelmingly it's marginalized people who are doing that. I still see lots of white friends who are still in that learning educating phase and that's that's fine, but there has to be a point where you make that leap, right? Um, and people are often doing their air quotes activism in their daily lives. They're not necessarily putting it on, um, you know, on a public platform and even for organizations, you know, they may be working on projects that aren't necessarily splashed over their social media that you don't know about. So mm-hmm. yes, to a certain extent, we should hold not hold people accountable, but there should be an expectation to, um, you know, raise awareness, raise awareness or talk about certain things, but it shouldn't be that those points are being racked up or tracked or, you know, monitored by anybody because we have no idea what's going on behind the scenes at all times. And there's a lot of nuance that we're not aware of. Yeah, mm-hmm. I've definitely experienced, um, I don't know if you guys noticed with BC, um, especially after the Atlanta shooting, so many instances of, um, people being extremely performative. Um, I'm not going to describe in detail, but I'm like, whoa, that was performative. And then mm. other times when people have been so helpful and say donated amounts very quietly, not making a song and dance or doing anything about it, I'm like, wow. So yeah, I agree. Like things going yeah. on in the background that we have no idea about, but other times you're just like, gosh, this makes me so cynical. <laughs> that was so performative. Those people who are like, why aren't you talking about it? But you're like, well, what the fuck are you doing about it, first yeah. of all? What are you actually mm-hmm. doing? Like, rather than screaming and shouting, other people, like, have you looked at yourself first to see what you're actually doing to dismantle oppression for other communities rather than just your own as well? Like, check yourself before you then check other people. I feel like I've said this <laughs> so many times on the podcast. Yeah. It's true, I think- though. I think that that's how, that's how activism starts. That's how grassroots yeah. movement starts is people doing shit individually. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone has a voice, just, you know, use it. And there are also ways to talk to people without pointing a finger in their face and saying, why aren't you doing this? Like, you know, if you really, really feel like you need to bring something to somebody, first of all, think about the method in which you're doing it. Are you sliding into their DMs and like invading a private space where you can't be held accountable by other people? Um, are you crossing boundaries? Are you being rude? like you know I I just think that social media unfortunately allows people to cross boundaries in all sorts of ways Mm -hmm. that we would never do in real life I I think kind of going back to actors and celebrities I think it's really tough it's a really tough line because we got to remember that as much as we want this to be a perfect society we want people to be woke and speak about it and, and and all this we've got to remember that Hollywood especially is such an institutionally racist, sexist, homophobic structure. And I understand why some actors will not speak out um, because especially East Southeast Asian actors are fighting so hard to get anywhere 
that it kind of pops into that awful model minority thing of I don't want to say anything because I don't want to cause a fuss and then suddenly get blacklisted by half the industry and then never have a job in acting ever again and Mm -hmm. I get that right and I feel like we have one or two East Southeast Asian actors who are slowly kind of making it up there up there up there to a point where yeah they could say something and no one will bat an eyelid and there won't be repercussions on their career so I get I get that it's such a difficult line to tread but also as someone who's like on the other side of this going well, why can't you say anything? Or why are you mm. saying something that I know you're going to forget in a week? I get that as well. It's it's so frustrating, but it's it, there's so many sides to it. There's so many angles to it. And then, you know, like we say, you know, th- there's just the fact that sometimes you maybe just don't want to say anything because you're exhausted. You're yeah. tired. You're not in the right headspace to say something about it. Um, and, and also, like, I, I personally would say, you know, why do we need celebrities to say something about it? I feel like the term celebrity yeah. has evolved. Like, I think a lot of people classically think of movie stars, TV stars. And I think, but there's so many other people, you know, like on the in the Instagram space and the Twitch space on all these mm-hmm. different spaces that are speaking up because they can. You know, I'm I'm not accountable to anyone but myself. You know, it's not like if I start speaking about this, Twitch are going to shut me down. You know, yeah. I'm not, my career is not dependent on, on Twitch, whereas I know that some people's career is dependent on their platform, on their employer. So, you know, and I, I get it, you know, you know, big celebrities, you know, big name celebrities, they do have that bigger platform, that international platform, that voice. But yeah, it's a tough one. It's such a tough conversation. And, you know, I, there's no answer. There's no, there's no concrete answer to it. I think maybe in 10, 20, 30, 50 years, we could be at a point where it's like, there's more East Southeast Asian faces who are a staple of TV and cinema. To summarize, expecting people of color to do that labor yes. on behalf of a movement is an act of racist white superiority complex 100%. in itself. Yeah. And people have the right to just fucking live You know, they have to go through these experiences of marginalization every damn day. I don't ever hold it against anyone who comes from a marginalized background. This is not just people of color, but anyone from a marginalized background, if they just want to close their eyes and be like, do you know what? I just can't deal with this. It's not those people who should be doing the work, even though we know overwhelmingly that it is, Mm. that is those Mm -hmm. people doing the work. Yeah. Let them live. I think that's a, a great note to end the podcast on. Let them live. Let <laughs> us live. Everyone live. And let them all have cake <laughs> and noodles and yep. dumplings. No rice, though. Mm-hmm. And no, free Netflix day. subscriptions. <laughs> That, you know that would be a great oh. act of allyship please netflix free <laughs> yeah. subscriptions mm. sponsor us right. people yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah i'll just yeah. i'll be happy to get free mochi ice cream yeah free mochi yeah. ice cream free Powered moon cake. if you're listening yeah <laughs> moons come on <laughs> sponsor if you could us. be sponsored by one like if you could just just purely for the for the sake of like fun and getting free shit right let's not bring in ethics and capital like i think for like once we start pulling up that thread but just for fun if you could be sponsored by anyone who would it be oh shit milo the drink milo i mean you're basically your life is a walking milo sponsorship kim yeah, yeah i've got a cat called milo i drink it every day viv sends it to me and pretends that she's the milo fairy um so yeah I mean, milo if you're out there <laughs> I think mine would be Amazon. <laughs> that was so bad, but oh, Amazon. Like the biggest. <laughs> like that was the one you answer that was in the world. You said it doesn't matter about capitalistic or whatever. Like, yeah, Amazon. Yeah, you can but get I still thought anything. that you were going to say the right thing. Uh-uh. <laughs> just uh-uh. I just threw kidding. ethics out of the window there. <laughs> For me, it's the Golden Gate Bakery in Chinatown. Okay. I think. Okay. okay. Yeah. Nice. For me, it would be Indomie noodles. <gasps> I eat them like well sometimes I eat them every day yeah and it had a, a really significant impact that. on my on my life so yeah please sponsor right. me I actually <laughs> think that the them. woman who invented one of the flavors died recently yeah. or oh. am I thinking of a different noodle brand anyway I can't remember I think that the woman who was behind Indomie noodles died recently and that's why I'm thinking about it so you know please sponsor me to uphold her legacy 
<laughs> well, thank you very much. Thanks, Kim, for joining us. Thank you, Mayan, and thank you, Amy. Thank it you. It was great. Very cathartic. Thank you. You're very concise as well. I think mm. for once. <laughs> well we done. Might have, we might have an hour long. We might have an hour long podcast. Yeah. Yes. Thank you.